chapter 1 as we propose now to take these next few moments to look in that portion of God's Word. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'd like to begin reading in verse 12 and read down through verse 17. And here is what God's Word says. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. O King of the ages, of whom Paul wrote so long ago, we come this morning grateful, thanking you that these words describe the great blessing of knowing you, the great and glorious one who you are. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you this morning that it is authoritative, that we can read this this morning and, and not just treat it as though it's another opinion, but it comes from you and therefore it carries weight. We thank you that it is necessary. We need to have this word. And Lord, I just rejoice this morning in those who see that necessity and are even now receiving it. And I would pray for your grace that we would receive it well. I thank you, Lord, that it is clear that you have written it in the language of, of men. And though it may be confusing at times to us, that nevertheless your spirit helps us to understand it and that it is sufficient. That we don't need to go out and gather a collection of opinions and books and and all kinds of writings, but rather we can open this word and you speak to us and give us what we need to know in order to know you and be known by you and to follow you in this life and to be prepared not only for this life, but the life to come. Thank you that it tells us of Jesus. And we pray for grace now that his name would be lifted up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we saw the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, the young man who was being given to help the church at Ephesus to grow and be rightly taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the doctrine that is in him. As he finished last time, he mentioned this fact. He says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, points out that he was entrusted with the ministry of the gospel. In verse 18, which is next week's text, we read, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophetic prophecies previously made about you. So Paul has written that he has been given a charge, and later on he's going to tell Timothy that he will be given the same charge. But in between we have this, these verses sandwiched in, and I'd like to use that word sandwich to describe this in a way, 
Because in a sense, this is like a thanks and praise sandwich. What I mean by that is this. If you look at the first verses that we read, the very first one, verse 12, the first three words begin with the phrase, I thank him. It starts off with a bottom layer of the sandwich, if you will, of thanks to God. And look in verse 17, the last verse that we're looking at today. It's a word of praise to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And there's the top piece of bread, if you will, that's blanketed uh, on the sandwich, but it's between thanks and praise. And in between is a description of Paul's understanding of what has been done, that he has been given this task. And he shares that as, as an instruction, I think, to Timothy that Timothy needs to understand it in the same way. But it's not just Paul who needed to understand this. It isn't just Timothy who needed to understand this. But it's been preserved in God's word that we should understand this too. Notice, if you would please, that Paul was, was expressing this as a, an expression of thanks and gratitude for God's kindness to him, for giving him this, if you will, this job. Now, Paul was a tent maker. That's what he did to earn a living. But he had been entrusted with the ministry of the gospel, and that was, if you will, his life. He just used his tent making to make money so that he could live out his life and sharing the gospel and being a follower of Jesus Christ. And the, the outcome of that was this expression of praise and thanks and gratitude, which is interesting because by this time, the apostle Paul was getting up there in age for a man of his era, he was probably well into his 50s anyway at this point, which is not all that old unless you're a really young person here today, and that probably seems pretty old, but for a lot of us here, that's not particularly old at all. But in that time, and with the life he had lived, he was getting of advanced age. In fact, in the book of Philemon, he calls himself an old man around the same time. But as he was writing this, what he had already been through was several shipwrecks, several beatings with a rod and lashed, he had been vilified. He had been hit with stones to the point where they thought he was left for dead. He had been through much hardship and suffering. And yet, here toward the end of his life, and in just a few years, he's going to be executed by the Romans. And he is, at this point in time, fully aware of the dangers and risks and suffering with which he has had to encounter in his life. And yet, he is full of praise, thanks, and glory to God. Let me ask you this morning, how are you doing in the praise, thanks, and glory to God department? How am I doing? Because this morning I would suggest that if we would take a stock of ourselves and examine ourselves in light of our response to what God has given us to do, we would do well to look and see if we measure up in this kind of response ourselves. How about you? Are your life and mine marked by praise and gratitude to God? Notice Paul gives the reason for his gratitude. He specifically says it in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. He judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul is particularly glad because he has been judged faithful. And that's the, 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 the kickoff, if you will, to this cause of thanks and praise. This morning, I think it would do us well to consider two main things based upon that statement. 
First of all, what is the basis of being judged as faithful? Secondly, what is the blessing or what are the blessings of being judged faithful? Because I would submit this morning that that same judgment is at the core of our joy and our hope as well. So what, first of all, is the basis of being judged faithful or the basis of faithful judgment? I think that the Apostle Paul here gives a good description of of what that means. But I would like to begin by pointing out not what it is, but what it is not. To understand the basis of faithful judgment, I think it will help us to understand what it is not because of what it tells us here in this text. First of all, we might be inclined to think if somebody is going to, to judge us as being a faithful person, we're qualified for the kind of task that the Lord was giving Paul to be considered as faithful, we might think, first of all, that we must have a great track record. Our track record, our prior performance must be exemplary. I mean, we even say that in our own culture, in the business world. The best indicator of future performance is past performance, right? But look what Paul says about his performance. He says, he, he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And here's Paul's first statement of qualification, if you will. Listen to this, verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. So right off, what is your qualification, Paul, for being appointed to the service of God? What is it that makes you faithful? Well, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Uh, that is not qualifying you for service in the, in the Lord's army, if you will. You see, there is something else than our prior performance. One of the things we can see throughout the pages of Scripture is that God has a track record of employing people at his service that are not what the world would normally think. For example, think of of King David. When when the prophet Samuel was given the task of going and selecting somebody from, from Israel to be a king, he was told to go specifically to the house of a man named Jesse. And he went to this man's house and was told one of his sons would be king. And the first man walked out, and he's tall, and he's imposing looking. And, and the first thing Samuel thought is, man, this is the one. I can see, Lord, why you sent me here. This guy looks like a king. And he thought that until the Lord spoke to him and said, he's not the one. Don't look at his height. Don't look at his stature, because the Lord looks at the heart and does not see as man sees. And so he went through each and every one of those sons that were present that day, Went through the first six of them who were in the house. Not a one of them was the one. Finally, Samuel had to say, well, Lord, what's going on? He, he asked Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he said, well, yeah, the little guy. Um, you know, he, in a sense, Jesse's saying, I didn't think he was important enough to even be here in the, in the room with us today. He's out watching the sheep. So Samuel says, bring him on in. And he walks in and he's a, a pretty boy, if you will. David walks in, he's handsome, he's not particularly imposing in his stature, but the Spirit of God says to Samuel, he's the one anoint him. See, the Lord has a different basis of judgment. He looks at the heart. He, he, he doesn't look at our past performance. In this case, Paul's performance, if you will, was abysmal. There's a different basis. Past performance is not the basis of being found faithful. Secondly, notice it is also not good attitude. 
you know, maybe, maybe Paul's performance was bad, but, but his attitude was good, and, and, you know, you can train somebody, you can overcome their, their poor performance if, if they have a good attitude, right? But look what Paul says again in verse 13. I was blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Notice that word insolent there. The Oxford Languages Dictionary defines insolence as showing a rude and arrogant lack of respect. Some of your translations may say violent. This is the same, same principle, an attitude of, of arrogance and condescension toward another. That attitude is not particularly conducive to, to one who is to be called into service. Uh, that sounds more like the person who wants to be in charge and, and at that, uh, if you will, to be a jerk while they're in charge. So in that second, second category, uh, he is not the, the, the one you would want for this, this kind of job and to be in the Lord's service. Or maybe it's superior knowledge. I mean, Paul was well-educated, right? He learned at the feet of Gamaliel. He had all kinds of understanding. He was an intellectual. But look what he goes on to say. Uh, in verse, in, later in verse 13, I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And by saying ignorant, he doesn't just mean I was rude. He means I was actually ignorant. I did not know. And I had unbelief as a result of my lack of knowledge. Well, what are you going to do with that? He so far had a bad attitude. His behavior has been rotten. And he doesn't have understanding. What attribute does he have that would cause him to be considered faithful? Well, maybe he has physical ability. Maybe he has inner strength that is sufficient for the task. But notice back up in verse 12, the very first thing that it says in this passage, I thank him who has given me strength. Now, why would the Lord have to give him strength? It's because he didn't have enough strength. So what is it that Paul brings to the table then? He brings insolence. He brings persecution. He brings blasphemy. He brings ignorance. He brings weakness. That is the one who is qualified or faithful for the task that God has called him to. How in the world can that possibly be? Well, let's look and answer that question since we've looked at what is not the basis of faithful judgment or being judged faithful. Let's look at what it is. He was found and judged faithful. In verse 13, the latter part of it, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The fact that he was ignorant did not qualify for him. What it did qualify him for was a need of mercy. So he received mercy. Verse 14, here's something else that he received. The grace of our Lord, Lord overflowed for me. The grace of the Lord. So, so far he has been given mercy. He's been given grace. With the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He's been given mercy, grace. And now he says he's even given faith and love. You know, the word faith can be interpreted a couple of ways. We use it a couple of ways in the church. One is we talk about the faith. And by that we mean the, the things that we believe, the gospel, the truths about God that we, that we hold to. That's the faith. But then there is faith, our conviction, our, our confidence in the truth. 
And here I think he's talking in a sense about both. He has been given the gospel, but he already had probably in some degree heard it. And, and it wasn't met with the second portion of faith, the second definition of, of actually having confidence in it and believing it. But somehow God pulled off the veil of unbelief and of misunderstanding and of ignorance and granted him faith as a gift. God brought that about in him. And besides that, he also gave him love. Now, we know that God is a God of love. In fact, the scripture says God is love. He, he, he acts with us toward love. He provides even to the, 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 the most vile person on the face of the earth. He provides rain and sunshine. He provides the means of food. He can provide all kinds of blessings even to, to the person who is the, the, the most ardent opponent of the church, even as he had to Paul up until this day, to the point where he, he was changed. And yet, there's also a, a way to understand this, which I think is more to the point here. That is that God gave him not only love for Paul, but God put the capacity for love into Paul. That is that Paul now had the love of God in him for God and for others in a way he did not have before. That these were also given to him as gifts. And we also see then that he was given strength. And back again in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. Do you see a trend here? How is it that Paul was qualified to be a servant of the Lord? It wasn't on what he had brought, but on what God had brought. To put it this way, faithful judgment or being judged faithful was not on what Paul brought to the table, but on what God brought to Paul and instilled in him. It was an act of God's grace. This morning, may I suggest that just as it was true for the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, that the ground on which God calls people and finds people faithful is still the same today. Perhaps this morning you have never followed the Lord Jesus Christ and you are somehow desiring and hopeful that, that you've done enough good deeds in your life that when that time comes that you stand before him in judgment, that he will somehow hold out the uh, uh, scale balances and he'll put your bad deeds on one side, your good deeds on the other, and your good deeds be a little heavier. Wrong. Your good deeds, if they are put on the balances, are going to be as light as a piece of dust. Because the evil that you've done is so weighty that it will outweigh all the good deeds that you could do together. The Apostle Paul did not qualify because of his deeds. He qualified because of something that God gave him. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have trusted him, you're looking to him, you call upon him, maybe you are being tempted to look at the life that you've been living and you're stumbling and you're bumbling, uh, you're, you're, the things that you do that, that fall short and you're thinking, wow, the Lord did so much for me and, and I am just so unworthy. Oh, maybe I'm not even really a follower of Jesus. My friend, look to the Lord because he's never loved you because of what you brought to the table. He knows what you're like. He called Paul to himself, not because Paul was so lovely, but because God is love. 
and he brought mercy to him. And he, he intervened in his life and gave him the, the things that he would need to serve God. And by the grace of God, he forgave him and cleansed him and called him to himself. Do you know what Paul did do? He simply accepted the verdict that God gave to him. On that road to Damascus, read about it in Acts 9, he was going there to, to persecute the church. He was this insolent man about whom he spoke here. And as he's going there, the Lord just knocks him literally down on the road, reveals himself to him, and immediately he begins to just simply accept what the Lord tells him. He just believes it. You know, last time we looked at the description of, of, of people for whom the law is given. And we read back up in verse 9. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. And what Paul came to realize is he was one of them. He was one of them. Up until the Lord confronted him and revealed himself to him, he thought he was different from those guys. He thought that he was better than those guys. But he came to realize that he wasn't. Just like Isaiah. Isaiah who would be given the, the, the task of being a spokesman, a prophet for God, to go and speak to his people way back centuries before Jesus came. Out of his mouth would come the word of God. And yet, when he first encountered the Lord, what did he do? He says, woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live in the middle of a, of a, of a family, a people of unclean lips. Because I've seen the Lord of hosts. I'm going to be destroyed because I'm just like everybody else. They have vile speech. I have vile speech. And what happened to Isaiah? The Lord cleansed him. He cleansed his mouth. He forgave him. He graciously took him and then he used him as a servant for many years by grace, just as Paul did. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you became a follower of Jesus Christ by the same means by his grace, not by your qualification. You know what qualified you? It's like Brother uh, Freddie said earlier at, at the Lord's Supper. You're a sinner, and Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's what qualifies you to be a follower of Jesus, because you need to be rescued by the great shepherd who calls his sheep, who calls us from being wayward, and by his grace, he makes us faithful. The reason that Paul was decreed faithful was because God granted him that grace. He was declared faithful because of the work of the Lord. Paul brought sin, ignorance, bad attitude, pride, arrogance, and weakness, and God gave him forgiveness and grace, and he does the same today as well. That, my friends, is the basis of being judged faithful. But what about the blessing of being judged faithful? What is the blessing of that? Because Paul is giving gratitude for something here. There, there's a great blessing in this faithful judgment. Notice, first of all, I would just say that simply what I've just said is the first and, and, and glorious blessing. That is that, that he did receive mercy. He did receive grace. He received the gifts of faith and love and strength. These things are all in and of themselves priceless gifts paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And if you have received these things, what precious and priceless gifts are already yours and they'll never be taken away because God does not withdraw the gifts and call of God. But notice also there is another thing that he received from the Lord in verse 12. Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Not only did Paul have this judgment of being faithful, he now was given, if you will, a job. He was appointed to God's service. Now, some would look at that and say, ah, okay, now I see the catch. I mean, why would God be gracious to such a man as this? Why would he show all these attributes? Ah, now, he wanted his labor. He's going to exploit Paul's labor. He's going to, to, to use him. And indeed, Paul was, as we mentioned earlier, he was beaten and arrested and vilified and all these things. But it's funny. Look at Paul's response. I thank him uh, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Did Paul say those things before all the trouble came in his life and ministry? No, this was toward the end of his life. He had already been shipwrecked. He had already been beaten multiple times. He had already been arrested. He had already been vilified. He had already been an outcast. And somehow he was happy. And he was praising God for the life that he had been given. How can that be? You know, there is something that is counterintuitive to following Jesus. Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For most of us, we would, in our day and age, we would want to make the appeal for something that sounds attractive. Whoever would follow me must uh, you know, come after me and follow the, the, the trail of gold I'm going to be leaving on the ground and pick up all this gold. The one who would come after me must come and, and enjoy the riches and pleasures that I'm going to bestow upon him, uh, the glory that they're going to have. But Jesus spoke of a cross. Not to say that there aren't great joys and pleasures and blessings, but they come through strange things like suffering and trial. Oh, they come through relationships too, precious, priceless relationships with the Lord first and foremost, but with brothers and sisters. A, a, a new hope, a new aim, a new life. And Paul rejoiced in the life he was given. He turned aside from the life he had been building as an unbelieving Jew, where he was zealous, it says, for the traditions of his fathers. He mentions it back in Galatians, the traditions of his fathers, Galatians 1.14. is that interesting? You know, it's one of the things that seems to be part and parcel of human nature, that we define our understanding of life by, by what we've been exposed to and by the traditions that have been handed down to us by our culture or our family or whatever it may be. And so often we, we define others be, because they don't fit into that same box that we come from. They, they don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't hold quite the same views. And if somebody comes along and says, we would like you to, to, to join our box, our, our first reaction would be, ooh, I don't want that box. My box is the one I'm comfortable with. Paul would have been in that same boat, as were all the apostles. They were fishermen. They had lives already. They had lives that were set out before them. And really, everyone who is called to follow Jesus is on a course of life. Some of you remember when you turned to the Lord Jesus. You, you remember, maybe you were an adult, and you'd already begun walking down a course of life, and, and the gospel came to you, and somewhere along that way, you became a believer in the Lord Jesus. 
What happened when that, hap when that occurred? Your life changed, didn't it? Things that you didn't used to love, you now loved. And things you used to love, you no longer love. There's a change in the direction of your life. Some of you don't remember that. Maybe you were saved at such a young age, you, as, a, as a child, you hadn't yet really gone, uh, you know, a, a built a large pattern of life, going astray and doing certain things. You can't enumerate all these vile sins that you did. But make no mistake, your change in following Jesus was just as drastic as the other. You just hadn't had the track record yet. But your heart was just as much changed as those who were turned to the Lord at a later time. You see, there's a, 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 a drastic change that occurs when we follow the Lord Jesus. Notice that that was defined partly by even what Paul says here. Verse 13, Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. See, the things that he had been doing before no longer now define his life. Now, not to say that Paul was sinless. In fact, he says as much later in, in Philippians 3. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect yet. He still himself was on the, the, the journey that every believer goes on when we turn to the Lord. We have that blessed moment when we receive that forgiveness of sins when we cry out to the Lord. The Bible talks about the word justification. It is... I, I like this phrase, just as if I'd never sinned. I've been wiped free of, of the guilt of sin. It will never be counted against me again because the Lord paid that price. But now we are on a, a path following Jesus, and, and there's a change that has occurred, and yet there's a change that's ongoing. As the Spirit now indwells us, and as we are, are made into the image of Christ, we are being sanctified, the process of sanctification. And we look forward to that day in the future when after we are through with this life, we're brought into the presence of the Lord where there is glorification. We no longer have to deal with sin anymore. It's no longer part of our lives. We don't have a clue what that's like. What a glorious time that will be. Our whole lives have been spent, uh, steeped in a culture of sin, and it's even in our own lives. But what a great mercy. And this is all the work of God. And Paul was rejoicing in that. Even in the midst of the trials that come to us because we're in Christ, even other trials that beset us in life that are the common trials of others, sickness and, and disease and all kinds of things that occur, we could still have this hope that extends and transcends those things, extends beyond them as we have hope in God. There's also something else. Because Paul could say, I was formerly doing those things, I'm no longer doing those. And yet he remembered one very important thing. And it's important for us all to remember this, even those who are in Christ. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the first thing. Jesus is the savior of sinners. And if you're a sinner, he's come to save. And you can look to him. But notice what he goes on to say, of whom I am the foremost. Not I was the foremost, I am the foremost. Paul realized that that nature of sin that defined his past, that though he has been forgiven and cleansed, he is now a pardoned sinner. He is a saved sinner. One day he'll be a fully sanctified and glorified sinner, but that is something that Jesus Christ has taken care of. He still realizes that he is a sinner saved by grace through faith. 
He does not see himself as better than others. He knows that he is not, that his standing is solely by God's grace. My friends, my brothers and sisters, if any of us gets the idea that we're so high and mighty now that we're better than others, we don't understand the gospel very well. Because we stand by grace and by grace alone through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the, the story that is recounted. We even sang about it earlier. It was referenced in one of the, the songs that we sang earlier today. It's mentioned back in, in Luke chapter 18. I, I just want to look at it and read it just briefly to you. It's the, it talks about a parable mentioned by the Lord Jesus. He says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Paul was an atypical Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. But the day came when the Lord Jesus revealed himself to him, and he believed. And on believing, Paul realized, no, I am like other men. In fact, if there's anything in which he says he's different from others, it's because he's worse than others. That's what he says here. I am the foremost sinner, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, or the worst, you could say, Jesus might, Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He was an example. You know, we talk about somebody being made an example of, don't we? We hear about that in our culture. We talk about it sometimes, too. A lot of times it's when somebody breaks the rules or does something wrong. We're going to make an example of him. And what do we do? We give them a harsh punishment. We do something to them to, to really show them and to show others, don't do that. So what did God do with Paul? He forgave him. He cleansed him. He gave him faith. He gave him love. He gave him strength. And he called him into his service. That's the example that Paul was. God made an example of him. But for whom is that example made? Praise be to God for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Who? Those who were to follow you, me. This word is meant for us not to necessarily say, wow, wasn't Paul a lucky guy? Wasn't he lucky and fortunate? Wasn't he blessed by God? Well, yes, he was. But praise be to God, this lesson is to be applied to us, that we can look at what God did for Paul and say he will do that to us as well. If we but accept the fact that we are sinners like him and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was grateful. He was filled with joy. He was overflowing with praise. And so should we be as well. Paul concluded this with the praises listed in verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He didn't say that because he had to. He, he wasn't given this, this, here, read this. This is the compulsory thing you have to say. That was a free expression of the joy he felt at this point in his life. 
and a time of trial. My friends, trust the Lord that he may grant you that same joy and that same attitude of thankfulness. Don't try to appease God with what you've done for him. Don't make future promises, well, Lord, I will do this for you. He's not impressed. He knows you too well. But look to him. He is able to provide grace in you and me and can work in us in ways that we could never imagine for his glory, for the good of our neighbor, and yes, even for our good as well. Trust him to work in you by his grace that he can give you the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And they are indeed in Christ Jesus. Trust him today. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we are grateful for the call that you gave to the Apostle Paul, that though he was completely unworthy, you in your mercy called him to yourself, that his worthiness was not by his own doing, but by your grace. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that that's our hope too, for we have nothing that we can give to you that you haven't given to us. And even what we have apart from you is tainted by our sin. So Lord, we come this morning praying for your grace, praying for your grace for those who this morning need to turn in faith to the Lord Jesus. We would pray, Lord, that you would help them to see their need and even now to trust and call upon him, acknowledging their sin and their unworthiness, receiving the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, for the believers here this morning, I would just pray for your grace, that they would remember the basis upon which they stand, that though they cling to you, that you uphold them, and that though their, their grip on you might become weak and feeble, you still hold them because you're a loving and gracious Father. So Lord, we come to you today and pray for your grace upon your people, and we thank you that long ago you were, showed yourself to be faithful and that you still show yourself to be faithful today and will for eternity. Thank you for your mercy through our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.